In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Joe Valley and Mark Durst about selling an e-commerce business. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 33. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulesky. I'm here today with Joe Valley and Mark Durst. Joe and Mark are partners at Quiet Light Brokerage, and I asked them on the show today to talk a bit about selling an e-commerce business and kind of the details around that and to provide some information that's helpful to folks. So, hey guys, how you doing today? Hey, Charles. Doing great. Great to have you guys on the show. So, can you tell me a little bit about kind of Quiet Light Brokerage and what you guys kind of specialize in and your background a little bit? Sure. I guess I will go with that, uh, Joe, if that's fine. Um, so, Quiet Light Brokerage, we are uh, business brokers who specialize in online businesses. Um, about half of our uh, book of businesses are made up of e-commerce uh, businesses. So, we work primarily with sellers who are looking to plan an exit and execute that exit within the next uh, few years, whether it be two three years uh, from now, we help them prepare uh, their business for sale, maximize the value. And then when it comes time to sell, we help prepare uh, pitch, negotiate, and close the sale of their business. All right, awesome. So, is it a lot of e-commerce retailers you guys work with, or is it all over different, you know, SaaS or different sort of products? So, we do work with SaaS and content-based sites as well. Um, Joe, do you have the numbers by any chance? Do you remember offhand what uh, e-commerce makes up? I want to say it's around fifty percent as e-commerce. Yeah, yeah. Just for clarification purposes, e-commerce being physical products businesses, even if it's drop ship. Uh, about 50% with the balance being content sites, SaaS sites, um, maybe educational sites, things of that nature, services, and so on and so forth. Okay. So how early in the process do folks usually kind of start talking to you guys about, you know, hey, I'm interested in selling or like, what's the process kind of like of um, someone engaging with you or how does the whole thing kind of work? How early do they or how early should they? Because <laughs> they're completely different questions. Yeah, I, I yeah, guess, I, I guess I both gonna... on that one. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to say not early enough is the simple answer. But go ahead, too, Mark. Too, I was going to say too late. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, people think about selling their business when they're ready to sell, and that's too late in the process most of the time. Uh, number a few years ago, I did uh, an analysis on this, and it was something like eight out of ten people that approached us that were you know quality businesses. We were telling them to wait before they actually sold their business because there was just stuff that they should do to prepare their business for sale. How early? Should they be contacting us? Frankly, as soon as possible, uh, even if it's towards the startup stage, uh, just contacting somebody and knowing you know, what are the, the basic mechanisms behind selling a business, uh, any business um, is a good idea. Uh, but for most people, it's going to be about 12 months to 24 months uh, would be the ideal time to reach out and get a current valuation, find out where you are, but also find out those big areas where you might have um, some problems in the business that are going to make it difficult to sell that business. Gotcha. Okay. So you shouldn't wait till a buyer is uh, knocking on the door before engaging with you guys. Yeah, I, mm. ideally not. <laughs> yeah, generally they don't, they don't knock on the door until you're engaged anyway. And when they do knock on the door, uh, they're going to want a lot of exposure to things if they're going directly to you. Um, and they'd probably be a competitor and you don't want to share those things without uh, NDAs and details in place. I, I think the key thing is uh, to consider for those listening is that you plan to sell. Uh, don't decide to sell. Because when you wake up and say, I'm tired, I'm ready to sell, I can guarantee you that if you list the business shortly thereafter, 
you're unless you've done a great job with your planning and preparation in advance, you're going to get less value. If you plan to sell, even if you say to yourself, as most people do, right, Mark, I'm never going to sell my business. I don't want to talk to a broker. Um, someday you're going to age, promise. You're going to get tired, promise. Your life is going to change. Your kids are going to you know, not want to take over the business. And you're going to say, all right, I think I'm ready. Or this has gotten so big that I can't live a, a lifestyle uh, entrepreneur life anymore, that I have to actually have more staff and grow and do things that are not fun. And you may say, okay, that's the time to exit. If you plan well in advance with that and you understand the valuation process, then you can build a business that's going to be a lot more valuable than if you just wake up someday and decide to sell. Yeah. And, and here's the trick with that At planning to sell and doing the things that make your business more valuable to actually uh, to, to sell it are the same principles that actually make a business really great to own as well. And so a lot of people that go through that valuation process with us find out afterwards that when they have implemented a lot of the changes, that they really love their businesses after that because you're paying attention to things that frankly you probably should be paying attention to all along, but now you're 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 being forced to do it. And uh, the result is uh, a good business. I mean, a good business to buy is a good business to own. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that book, um, what is it, Built to Sell? Where they kind of That's described, right. yeah, exactly that kind of concept where you should, even if you're not planning selling the business, build the business that, build the business in a way that should be sold, um, that could be sold. And then that's like, like you said, the most desirable to sell or the most desirable to own. That's right. Yeah. To what Mark just said, you know, I had a listing uh, come to me. I've been talking to this uh, entrepreneur for about a year and a half. And we finally sat down in January and went through the process of getting the business ready uh, to actually list. We'd been talking for a while. Um, once we went through that process of the client interview and developing the full package, uh, she realized that things were, she left so many things on the table that could have brought more value. So we went through that whole process and then decided to take a step back and she's going to build more uh, revenue channels and do more things and, and look at a Q1 2019 sale. And odds are, just in terms of numbers, look, um, in terms of what could potentially change. I think the value that we pegged was around 1.2 million for the business based upon some of the growth that she had in place and some things that she's going to do. I would not be shocked at all if that business is, is worth closer to $2 million in Q1 2019. So not only will she make all of the money along the way over the next 12 months, but she'll also sell her business for what, something like $800,000 more. And that really becomes life changing money. And, for, for anybody listening that has a business, I, Charles, odds are the assets of this business is their most valuable asset, not their house, not their car, not their retirement fund. It's probably this business. And understanding that value is really, really critical. And that's part of the valuation process that's free that you know most people are afraid to get into because they don't want to sell the business or they don't want to talk to a broker. That's our job. Mark always says our job is conversations. And helping people. The more conversations we have, the more people we help, uh, the better they do and the better we do. Yeah, I definitely. So I would like to ask about some kind of other tips to actually get ready to sell. But I know the thing, as soon as you said valuation, um, that's one of those things in people's mind that I think everyone's very curious about kind of the rule of thumb of how to actually like value an e commerce business. And is it some sort of multiplier of revenue, profit? You know, so I think that's kind of the elephant in the room. People kind of 
would love to know that answer. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you actually will come in and value a business and it, you know, what kind of multiples you'd expect? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start off this and Joe, you can uh, chime in again and fill in uh, some of the, the gaps here. So the, the approach that we're going to take and the approach that uh, most buyers are going to take is a multiple approach and we're going to multiply a number called discretionary earnings. Now that's going to be close to your EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, um, which is something that you can easily pull out of QuickBooks, assuming that you're using QuickBooks or Zero or professional accounting software, which by the way, you got to use. Always Hopefully use you're actually planning on selling, right? And you have some, uh, oh, I, some yeah, well, history. You'd be surprised how many people come to us with Excel. And uh, for anyone listening out there, Excel is not accounting software. Right, Joe? Absolutely. I should print that on a T-shirt. <laughs> That's right. He wants T-shirts and he's going to hand them out. Uh, so uh, you can start with your EBITDA. And then what we do is we take a look at owner benefits. We remove those uh, expenses that are really owner benefits and add them back into the bottom line. The process can get sort of complex. Um, we do actually have some guides on our site that go into uh, what goes into this discretionary earnings. But I, I think the easiest way to think about discretionary earnings is to really look at the amount of earnings that you as an owner have to spend at your discretion, right? We want to be able to get a baseline number that we can show a potential buyer to say, this is the amount of earnings this business generates over a 12-month period. Now, from there, we do apply a multiple. And the criticism that we hear of this multiplier approach sometimes is it's too basic, it's too simple. We're not taking into account, you know, the awesome backend that I have that I've I've really worked to build, or this automation, or this unique vendor relationship. The thing to keep in mind with this multiple is that it uh, encompasses literally dozens and dozens of factors, and these factors work against each other to to either push the valuation up or to push that valuation down. So you might have uh, a unique feature with your business that's going to increase the value of the business. Or you could be keeping your books in Excel, which is going to decrease the value of your business. Right? So these things are going to push and play against each other. So when you talk to a, a broker like Joe or myself, what we do is we're going to look at all of these factors. We're also going to look at the state of the economy right now to see what are buyers generally uh, paying. What does that range of multiples look like right now? And we'll figure out where you're going to fit within that multiple range. Are you towards the top end? Are you breaking out of that? Or are you towards the bottom end? And if so, what are those big factors that are pushing that multiple higher that you might want to amplify? But more importantly, what are those things that are really pulling that multiple down? And can we correct those as part of that uh, exit strategy? Okay, so let's kind of first unpack that a little bit. When you say a, the seller discretionary income, what kind of what obviously the things that go into that would be the owner's um, salary, anything, you know, they pay themselves dividends, that sort of thing. What else would kind of play into that number? Let me do, let me just throw a simple formula to calculate sellers discretionary earnings. When you run a profit and loss statement in QuickBooks or zero, you get net income on the bottom. What my job, Mark's job, Walker, Chuck, everybody here at QuietLight or any broker's job is to take that net income and below that line when you export it to Excel, is to create an add-back schedule. That add-back schedule is, you know, are those one-time expenses and personal benefits to the owner. So you take the net income, and let's say that that net income is $100,000. We don't apply the multiple to that 100, because odds are, let's say that you're also taking $100,000 salary as an owner-operator. So in the add-back schedule, you add that 100 back. So now you're at 200. 
So then maybe you run your mobile phone through the business. Most people do, or some travel, some meals and entertainment, or you did a one-time website redesign for 10,000, or you uh, paid for a patent uh, search that's a one-time expense that's another 10,000. So you go from 100 and you add another 100 for the salary, maybe another 25,000 for the two for the patents and the travel meals and whatnot. And your net plus your ad backs would equal 225. That's the number that Mark's talking about for that seller's discretionary earnings. Another easier kind of uh, term to understand, and, and we used it back in 2012 when I first joined Quiet Light Brokerage, was owner's benefit. It flows much easier and it's kind of easier to understand, but the, 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 the market calls it seller's discretionary earnings. Got it. Okay. So, and, but things like one-time uh, expenses. So like you said, a website redesign that you'd pull out of the, the expenses for the year. So you wouldn't look at those as ongoing then. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, uh, so we're going to remove amortization, depreciation, interest, taxes, as far as income taxes are concerned. One owner's benefits, if there's two owners, you can't add both of them back, and then one-time expenses. Uh, those are the, the most commonly uh, added back uh, items. Non-related expenses, if you're running two businesses through the same business, obviously we'll remove those as well, as well as any revenues from that. Yep. And and what Mark's hopefully not that to start with, right? The, <laughs> the two businesses both in the same P&L. Yeah, not, not a good idea, but that's, yeah. that's not the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised. So the interest expense, the depreciation, those are things that do not carry forward to a new owner because they're not buying the corporation, they're buying the assets of the business. So, you know, those things have to be added back and, and make the difference in terms of boosting that discretionary earnings. And so that's a big thing right there, what you just said. They're not buying the actual corporation, they're just buying the assets. So any, um, will be a good example, any kind of debt you've taken on kind of stays with it stays with the original owner and doesn't move forward with the sale. Is that kind of the typical way this works and um, the size business we're talking about? Yep, yep. So uh, debt and liabilities, uh, accounts receivable typically stay with the previous owner. So the previous owner might have old company, uh, Inc., and the new company will have new company, Inc. Uh, all the assets move over to that new company. The old company stays there, and uh, the person selling can either shut that business down um, or they can start up a new business within that entity. Okay. Now, and why is that? Is it more for the, um, so the liabilities don't move forward or what is kind of the, what's the goal of like, why aren't, why is someone not buying the actual business itself? So uh, there are occasions when people will buy the actual business, but it's pretty rare. It's a simpler transaction. Uh, there is the liability issue. Most buyers don't want to assume any potential liabilities from the previous owner. Um, and uh, I think those tend to be the, the most common reasons. It really comes down to that liability issue. Um, and again, the simplicity of the transaction. So unless you're talking, um, you know, you're buying a general electric type, you know, a GE, uh, some very large business, it's typically a asset sale and not an actual business, a sale that, business itself. That, that, that's correct. And the other thing, when you start getting into the share sales uh, where, where you're actually buying stock in the company, now you have to get into registration of that stock and making sure that the legal process is followed. There's definitely a lot uh, more red tape to follow if you're doing that share sale. Okay, so you're selling the assets, you find the discretionary uh, earnings of the business, what kind of multiples are you actually looking at here in, you know, 2018 is what's kind of like a reasonable range someone could expect, or is that not something you guys can, 
Is that not is that it's, not a number? No, no, no. We can, it, we, it, we can it's super secret. Uh, we, we don't disclose <laughs> this anywhere. Although if you go to our website, you can find it publicly. On All there. right, excellent. <laughs> and that you know that, that that's the answer. The, you know, the question that everybody asks, and the the answer anybody listening wants to know. But there's no simple blanket answer because there's every business is unique and different and has, like Mark said, 20 different variables within that business that will push that value either up or down. So, for instance, um, a simple uh, uh, simple is probably not the right term, but let's call it a 100 percent Amazon business. They only physical products and they've got their own brands with more than one SKU on Amazon. You know, that multiple range, again, of that seller's discretionary earnings is going to probably fall in that two and a half to three time range. So if the discretionary earnings are 100, you're looking at 250 to 300,000 in terms of a value. But here's the catch. It's plus the landed cost of good, saleable inventory on hand at the time of closing. So if they have $50,000 in inventory on hand at the closing, uh, they sell the business for 250, they get 250 plus the value of that inventory, so 300. That same exact brand Let's say that's doing that same revenue of 100, but they've got 60% through Shopify and 40% through Amazon and maybe mixed up through email and other channels. Uh, And let's say both of these businesses are three plus years old. That same brand that has multiple streams of revenue uh, and owns the customers, 60% of them, that sounds more valuable to you, doesn't it? it? it is. It's less risk, so that brings more value. More value brings a higher multiple. So that same business with multiple channels, a hundred thousand, you may be in that broader range. You may go two and a half to three and a half times in terms of the multiple. So you may go uh, that same business to three hundred fifty thousand plus the landed cost of good saleable inventory. Now, what pushes that multiple higher or lower? It's one of those you know twenty plus points. Uh, I, I sold one in the spring, and they had uh, 60% Shopify revenue, probably 35% uh, Amazon, and 5% B2B that was growing like crazy, as was the Amazon. But the kicker was that they had, uh, on one of their SKUs, they had a patent, a, a, a utility patent, and 40% of their revenues came from that one. And that pushed that multiple uh, as high as you could get in that range. We actually did it about 35 to achieve the seller's goals. It was worth a little bit more, but the seller said, hey, look, this is this is good. My goal is to get this done and get it done quickly. And we had multiple offers within a few days and we achieved his goal. Probably if you held out, you probably could have gotten a little bit more. So you have to take into account the, 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 the seller's goals of the business and uh, all of those 20 different factors. And then even then, Mark, tell me if I'm right, uh, you, I look at it, the seller looks at it, we all work together, we look at the analysis and what the history tells us the business is worth, and ultimately, we don't make the final decision, the buyers do. The, the marketplace really dictates what the value of the business is at the end of the day. Absolutely. I think it's important, uh, a couple of things to, to keep in mind here, and let's see if I can remember all of them uh, that I want to bring up here. But first, valuation formulas and valuation approaches are really just estimates. Right, you can you can find any valuation formula, and I've I've had buyers do this before, where they've come to me and said, "Well, I dug up this old valuation formula that I found in this old textbook, and this business should be worth way way less 
Well, you know what? That other buyer over there who's actually writing a check right now disagrees with you. So there is the value of that business. There is that intersection of, of values between a uh, seller and a buyer and where those actually intersect. That's the actual value of the business. Our valuation approaches are there to predict what is that going to be? What is that one buyer going to be willing to pay uh, for your business? The other thing that, Joe, you brought this up, your client uh, was fine with a 3.5 multiple. You could have gotten a little bit more. And I think this is something that your listeners might be hearing and might be saying, well, why would anybody ever take a little bit less for your business? Because if you're when you own your business, you think, I would if I were to sell, I want maximum value for my business right now. What I tell people all the time with this, I was at a conference back in January and somebody was asking me, said, when is the best time to sell my business? And my honest response to that question all the time is hopefully never, right? It's really good to own a business. If you have a business that is generating profit, that's a great thing. There's value in the business itself, the asset value that you could sell it for, but there's also the income value. But the fact is life happens. When people come to us to sell their business, it's because something has happened where the landscape of their life has changed. Maybe they're burnt out. Maybe they're having a major life uh, change where they're having a baby or uh, they're, they're wanting to retire, uh, or maybe they have another opportunity that they want to pursue. These are the other driving factors which lead people to sell. We still want to get the most value you can, but there's a lot of reasons uh, outside of that that somebody might want to sell. Okay, so I want to make sure I kind of understand that process, what you just explained though. So someone comes to you, who is setting the price and how does that actually, like, what's that negotiation look like? Are you guys working with the seller beforehand or is it something the buyer is coming to you? Uh, how does this actually, like, where do you find that um, price and how do you get to that? We have the data based upon historical sales. So we absolutely take the lead on that. Um, but ultimately, as I tell my clients, is that it's, it's a joint effort. We both have to be comfortable with that price range and that value range in order to move forward. I can't sell the business without the, uh, the owner's help on uh, the packages and the conference calls and due diligence and so on and so forth. Uh, and if they have a pie in the sky number, um, I won't take the listing on. Neither will any success-based business broker unless their motive is to get you into a long-term engagement letter and then hit you with, gee, geez, nobody's responding. We need to drop the price. Um, it's, it's a joint effort that has to be uh, decided upon. Yeah. yeah. And I, there's a criticism that you hear sometimes among buyers about sellers saying, this you know this seller had completely unreasonable expectations. You, you hear this from time to time. Uh, I'm very adamant that your business as it is today is worth whatever it's worth to you. If you want to set a price of $10 million and you're not going to sell for anything less than $10 million, you have the right to do that. And, and frankly, with Quiet Light Brokerage, if somebody were to come to me and ask uh, me to sell Quiet Light Brokerage, I would not sell it for market rates right now because it's just it's worth more to me personally. But if you come to us and want to sell your business in the marketplace, what we're gonna do is we're gonna try and find out a little bit where your number is and see if it's close enough to where we believe the marketplace for that business is going to be. They have to be able to intersect or at least, you know, if you're talking about a Venn diagram, those two circles have to be at least kissing uh, in order for us to, to uh, take the listing on. Okay, so you kind of first talk and let's say, you know, I'm an e-commerce business owner, profit around, let's say 100,000, you can determine this is a three X. So as long as I'm in that $300,000 range, then you guys say, all right, let's take this on. And then do you guys kind of shop it around to buyers or how does that kind of process work? Yeah, yeah, so we, yeah. 
Go, go ahead. Keep in mind, let's 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 just define that you know we are we take it on because we are success-based business brokers, meaning yeah. only get paid if the transaction closes okay. for so the a, twelve a percent, to twenty. A percentage of that transaction. Yeah. Is that something yeah. that's going to yeah. disclose, or is that like a? Yeah, let's answer the other question as well. But at and and only at closing, though, Charles, we we will talk to someone for twelve to twenty-four months, helping them grow their business and 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 get prepared. So as long as they have realistic expectations, you're going to help them kind of with the prep work, as long as they're kind of realistic in the actual uh, numbers they're looking at. We're generally helping them anyway. What, you know, you know, we really are. I mean, that's, it, that's on, on that, you know, I, I worked with a guy a few years ago who wanted, he wanted a million dollars for his business. And at the time it may have been worth 400. And I worked with him for three years. Uh, to say, let's get to that number. I mean, if that's your number, that's your number. And that's great. If that's your goal, uh, here's the mechanics behind it. And here's what, what you need to do with your business. For him, part of it was he just needed to earn more money. You know, that was, uh, you know, I'm, we can't just you know, wave a magic wand and make the business worth more. There is work that has to be there. But I worked with him for three years. I mean, there's nothing, you know, we're going to help somebody get to that goal if they have a clear goal in mind. Okay, so maybe in three, so maybe even you start working with them, the business is only worth 400, but in three years, they're able to build up revenue, kind of get the books cleaner and gets kind of the things in line to make it worth more. And they're actually then able to achieve those kind of uh, numbers. Once somebody understands the principles behind the valuation uh, process and, and the principles that make a business valuable, it's pretty easy to draw a roadmap to say what needs to happen. That's the key right there is, is we, if we could get one message through, it's try to understand the principles behind the valuation of the business so that you know what the value of your business is. That's that's kind of the key. As far as our process and what we've done, look, Mark launched this company in 2007, so it's been around for over a decade. Mark, do you want to touch on how we go ahead and reach out and connect with, uh, with potential buyers? Well, sure. I mean, uh, when I started the business, I uh, had somebody who was advising me um, and had some experience in this. And he told me something pretty simple. He said, focus more on the sellers. The buyers are going to find you. And so our focus has really been over the past 10 years to provide uh, world class quality information for buyers and to to let them know that we're somebody that they can trust to provide full transparency in that process. So when we release a, a business for sale now, um, you know, we may have a few buyers in mind that we're going to approach privately about it first. Uh, but after that, we release it to our uh, uh, internal list uh, of buyers. And from there, we'll receive anywhere from 100. Uh, the last one I did, I had 350 inquiries um, on that business over the course of a few weeks. So um, we rely first on that internal list of, uh, of buyers that we have, which is changing, growing. People are dropping off. People are adding to that list on a uh, weekly basis. Uh, and then outside of that, we can utilize some of the marketplaces out there, such as Biz Buy Sell. At the end of the day, though, I think it's important to, to note when it comes to finding buyers, um, we don't have the exclusive access to buyers, right? Most brokers have access to a similar list of buyers uh, out there. Anybody can put their site up on Biz Buy Sell and probably find a number of the same buyers that we have on our own list. The value that, that we're going to hopefully be able to add to that transaction process is knowing what information to prepare, what information to show, 
and also what sort of process needs to happen in order to make that transaction safe, secure, transparent, and make sure that you don't end up in a lawsuit afterwards because you didn't know that you should have actually disclosed this thing that you ended up not disclosing, or you showed your financials in a way that was somewhat deceptive. Um, unintentionally, but uh, the, the buyer uh, got a set of financials that uh, simply didn't work for them. So a lot of it sounds like your fee is based on, it's more it's more for the actual consulting and the actual like expertise of this um, because buyers are there, right? And there's, way, there's cheap ways of finding buyers, obviously, but. Well, it's, it comes down to experience. Yeah. Uh, look, the difference between a good broker and a great broker is, is you know, putting the transaction back on track when it goes off the rails. And it usually does. Once you're under a letter of intent uh, and due diligence for some reason or other, it goes off the track and you got to put it back on the rails. Um, and the, the key difference between, you know, what Mark has created and others have created is that each of us at Quiet Light uh, probably were Mark's clients at one point or another. We've all built, we've all bought, and we've all sold our own e-commerce businesses. I don't just mean physical products businesses. Some of us have owned other businesses like Jason in the affiliate space, Chuck as well. Um, but everyone has walked in the shoes of the buyer and the seller and as the entrepreneur. So we know how emotional it can get all along the way. Uh, and managing uh, emotions and expectations, I would say, is probably my biggest job aside from making sure that the discretionary earnings is as accurate as possible at the very beginning because if you get that wrong everything else falls apart at the end right and I, I tell my clients before i bring them on board that there are going to be a few times in the transaction when they will probably hate me um, because there are parts where i re i require a lot of information um, part of our process is to get those financials look at google analytics you know do, do some of the stuff that you would expect but we also ask clients to, to fill out this written interview and it can be lengthy. It can be a pain to fill out. It can be, you know, 100, 120 questions, 130 questions. Uh, and it takes a day or two to, to, uh, to actually fill out. But that process, uh, knowing what questions to ask, like Joe said, it comes with experience. And I think, Joe, uh, <laughs> you can tell your, your experience in selling your business. How much work was it to actually sell that business? I, I told my wife during the process, Jason Yellowitz, who is still a broker at Quiet Light, he's our most senior broker that we have here. He was my broker back in 2010 when I sold my business. And I was working running my business from home. It was an e-commerce business, physical products. I was working about 20 hours a week running the business. And I felt like I was working harder preparing the documents and details that Jason needed to get the business sold than I was actually running the business. Now, it paid off. I think we were under contract in, in about three weeks. And, and the process that I went through is the same process that most people go through today. Our, our goal is once we have the business publicly listed on our website, it goes out to our email database within 24 hours. And if we do our job well, and I say we all the time because I mean we as in me or the broker and the client, because it takes to our job well, meaning good responses in those client interviews, a lot of detail, accuracy, building trust. You know, the buyers are somewhere else in the world, potentially, and they're going to look at written documents and we're going to record a recorded interview on audio like this via Zoom, something like that, and do some video. You've got to build trust in order to do your job right. If we do our job right and price it well, we're going to have three to five conference calls within the first 30 to 45 days and at least one acceptable offer. And if it's a cash deal, it's going to close in another 30 to 45 days. If it's SBA, you're going to add another maybe 30 days to that. But 
that that's really the process and and what people can expect timing wise so a couple, couple things on that i actually um talked to someone a while back who they were selling a business um they were already engaged with a the buyer they approached them directly and they were negotiating the sale and they just realized it was like way over their head um some of the terms it was a much larger buyer and they actually ended up using a broker um purely for kind of the reasons you you're talking about here um where those actual expertise and just realizing like there's some like you said it's one of the, like the largest sales you're going to do in your lifetime and some of the terms are getting thrown around and some of the questions might just be over a founder's head um so even It'd be, let me just tell you i've learned this from jason here at quiet and and then through direct experience over the last what six years now mark mm -hmm. um emotions from yeah. a buyer standpoint will cost you money i had a situation not too distant in the past where it was a fairly sizable transaction that fell off the rails um there was a primary buyer and he had he had financial backing well, the financial backing went away and we way overshot the seller's goals financially um when it fell off the rails uh the primary buyer was you know trying to get another financial backer and the seller was really distraught emotionally and was willing to take less for the business and a lot less cash up front and do some earnout or, or seller note or larger stuff on that end. And you know, because it was a, a sizable transaction that was, you know, going to change his life, um, he was under a lot of pressure emotionally and was on the phone with me on a regular basis. And and all I wanted to do was just let some dust settle. And that's what we did. So it was the experience that I have in this situation where we didn't, didn't call that client and say, look, can we work out something different in terms of the price and whatnot and earn out and so on and so forth. We just waited 24 hours. He found another backer, came in $250,000 higher because he was able to do some different things. So by having the broker experience and, 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 and waiting, uh, he ended up getting, you know, even more than that already over his own price expectations. If he had followed his own emotions and got as the owner operator dealing directly with the seller, I can guarantee you he would have um, lost, I don't know, maybe five times what he paid in terms of the broker fee. <laughs> it would have been a big loss. Yeah. And that's one of those things that's having that buffer in there helps you to slow down, kind of think about the process and kind of um, don't get to them. You're not completely emotionally attached to that, uh, the buyer themselves. And it's hard. It's hard. It's there, there's so much at stake that, you know, silence is deafening. And, you know, when the broker doesn't reach back out to you, what generally they're working on something. And sometimes you, you, you have to let that silence percolate so that the other party, you know, comes back to the table with the right options and, and transaction. Now, one thing you said right there, um, is it typically cash transactions or are the buyers taking back any sort of, you know, debt on this or are sellers financing this or SBA? Like, how does the actual, um, how does it work with, you know, can you just expect, let's say some of 500,000, you just get one check 500,000 or is this in different, um, you know, broken up into small pieces? Take that Mark. Sure. Uh, most of our deals that are done are mostly cash. Um, although if you 
uh, a good number of them are now going through SBA. So when I started the business, SBA was not really an option uh, for uh, buyers. Banks didn't really understand what they were doing. Uh, and then, of course, we ran into the Great Recession and uh, no one had any idea what was going on. Uh, SBA guidelines restricted lending on goodwill, which is what Internet businesses basically are for the most part. Yeah, it took a while uh, for uh, I feel like Internet businesses to become uh, real businesses. Right. right, right. Now, over the past probably two and a half years, SBA financing has really opened up uh, with a lot more banks doing uh, good good deals. And um, in 2018, um, the requirements have loosened up even more, uh, which means banks are doing more and more deals for us. So um, roughly 50, 60 percent of our deals are done through SBA at this point. Uh, the others are cash buyers. The preference is always going to be a cash buyer. As far as the amount of money that uh, is going to be held back by a seller, uh, it depends on the business. Uh, again, if you have a really, really strong business, getting an all-cash deal is something that uh, we would probably expect. Um, if there's, if it's an average business, you might be expected to finance 10%, maybe 15%, maybe 20% uh, of that purchase price. Uh, but again, a lot depends on the individual business, what the owner's goals are as well, uh, and uh, what the market is for that, for your particular business. Okay. But either way, whether financing or if it's cash, would you expect that all kind of upfront or is that something that we've broken into, you know, yeah, different so payments? It, if, if it's SBA, it's really it's a great deal for both the buyer and the seller because you get that cash at close. Uh, I just closed a, a deal uh, last Friday and uh, the, the seller, uh, uh, we actually thought it was going to be delayed and delayed. And this is one of the problems with SBA is it can be this uh, uh, process of, oh, well, we have just one more thing, right? And you hear this from the underwriter and, and uh, whoever is helping you through the process uh, quite frequently. So I was preparing everybody that uh, you know, this deal might be taken until July 15th was our thought. And we literally got the call on uh, Thursday before the 4th of July uh, week. And uh, they said, uh, everything's good to go. We're going to fund today. And my seller uh, got his money that day. And uh, the, the buyer got the assets that day. It was a very quick transition. Um, but uh, they, they received all that money up front. So a couple of notes on on the SBA in January 2018, their guidelines changed. So anything under a million dollars, and this this can change from lender to lender. Uh, they, they you have the SBA in California that sets these guidelines, and then the individual lenders make their own individual choices. But anything under a million dollars can be generally purchased with 10% down and no seller financing. So as Mark said, it's a great deal for both the buyer and seller. You just got to make sure from what well, the SBA will or that lender will to make sure that the business is going to cash flow enough to do what? Pay back that loan and support the buyer financially uh, with whatever financial obligations that they have, a house, family, kids, things of that nature. Um, and the other thing about uh, an SBA buyer or an SBA uh, opportunity is that you do have to think about that planning. If you're building a business now and you think someday I might sell, right? Plan to sell, don't decide to sell. Uh, if you're commingling two or three different businesses under one LLC, uh, odds are it's going to be much more challenging to get an SBA buyer to buy that business. Uh, if you are um, not incorporated and you're just a sole proprietorship, well, talk to your CPA. You're probably making some financial uh, poor decisions there, but you want to really get protected and have an LLC or corporation, S corporation. Um, if you have one LLC for each entity that you, or each each business that you have, you're going to be in the best shape as far as choosing to exit. 
uh, SBA buyers, in my experience, will actually pay more than a cash buyer. So it may take an extra, let's, let's say it takes an extra 30 days to close an SBA deal and you've got a, a million dollar listing. The cash buyer, you know, they may negotiate a little bit more off, so you're gonna make a little bit more with an SBA buyer. You're still gonna get a million at closing and you hold the business for another 30 days and you make the revenue from that company. Sometimes the anxiety during that extra 30 days is not worth that extra money to some sellers. But you know, at the end of the day, it's a good transaction for both parties, and that's ultimately the goal. Whether it's a cash transaction or SBA transaction, is that both parties, the buyer and the seller, have to be happy and satisfied at closing in order to get there. And then after, during transition and training, uh, sometimes the buyers make their decision. I'm sorry, the sellers make their decision on who they're going to sell to, based upon how they think transition and training is going to be after the sale. So it's it it it's all encompassing. Yeah, and I actually just had that scenario um, with with that deal I closed recently. We had two offers on that business. One was a cash buyer who worked in a two point five percent discount off of our uh, asking price, and they promised a three and a half week closing period, which is super aggressive. You know, in in the mind of a seller, you're thinking, sweet, three and a half weeks, I'm going to get get paid and move on. Um, but, uh, we had an SBA buyer. She came in at full ask and, uh, he ended up taking that process did take longer, but he got full price for his business. And at the end of the day, he still got 100% cash up front. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like in a similar to in real estate, there's times where you come in and, um, I sold a house a while back and somebody came in with full cash. It was a, a Sunday actually. And they'd been an offer and said, we can close Wednesday. Okay, you know, and there were people that were higher than that, but just having that, you know, oh wow, we can really close like a few days, and some it de really depends on um, how much that means to you. But one thing actually with the SBA and this kind of not really a topic for a seller, but what's a typical um, term like on that loan? So you said you know they have to be able to support that. How long is the buyer typically um, paying back that loan in terms of about ten? It's about 10 years. 10 years, okay. 10, 10 years, yeah. Yeah, okay. and and the, the SBA, the, the lenders, the underwriters, they're all going to structure it to make sure that that buyer's protected and, and it's going to have plenty of cash flow. Okay, so over the 10 years, I, you know, you're really kind of spacing out, so you're not, you know, it's not a 12-month Oh, it's great. I mean, if, down. Yeah. yeah, if you're buying the same business with cash, but you're asking for a 20% seller note, uh, you know, that seller note, they're not a bank and they're going to say, Probably they're going to they're going to fight it, but they're going to make that term as short as possible. Meaning, you know, 20, 24, 36 months. I think the longest I've ever done was when I first started within the first twenty four months, and it was it was five years, the shortest that I've ever done. And I tell you that the buyer and seller absolutely loved each other, and that's the only reason why they really really liked each other a lot, uh, and so the seller accepted that. But that's really the the longest. So SBA ten years. I think you know. As far as the real estate and what you talked about, I just want to t touch on something in terms of pricing. Um, when you price a business right, uh, you're going to get offers at or near asking price is our experience. And you probably experienced that with your house as an example. When you push the numbers too high, the value too high, what our experience is that people are like, well, that multiple is way too high. I'm going to make a low ball offer. They were obviously trying to just drive that up there and I'm going to go in low. Um, you price it right, you sell it at or near 
asking. You price it too high, offers come in well below that price it right strategy, and you actually wind up with less. Jason had an experience we talked about when I recorded Jason on our own podcast where he took over a listing from someone else that had just done that. They, they priced it really high. Offers came in really low. Jason took the listing, got the exclusive, priced it right, and offers came in right away at uh, just, just below asking price. But it was higher than those lowball offers that he had gotten from uh, the other broker. Same idea, too, with a good real estate agent. Um, the goal is to never come in way above market price and you know try to squeeze out all that value. It's to come in right, you know, maybe just slightly below and then hopefully get multiple offers and be able to pick, do I want a little more um, on the cash side, a little better financing terms and kind of, then you're able to actually pick between multiple offers instead of coming in as high as possible and maybe getting, like you said, that one lowball offer and having it maybe sit there for how many months and get no offers possibly. Yeah, I, I think it depends a little bit though on on the, the seller's goals. I, I'll, I'll often present a seller with with multiple options. Uh, and explain to them what the risks are and what to expect with each one. So one might be kind of the market buster price. You know, we're going to go high. We're going to go maybe a little bit above what I think the market can bear uh, with the idea that this might not sell or might sit on the market a while. We might have to do a price reduction down the road. Um, and, you know, but if you want to do that, I'm willing to do that. The other one is here's where I really think the sweet spot is, you know, expect uh, this time frame. And then here's the got to get rid of this thing now. I'm ready to move on. I've got another opportunity. You know, I've, I've worked with a client. This was now probably four years ago now, where he had a line of credit that was waiting for him if he sold his existing business because he had to pay off another line of credit. So the bank had approved this really large line of credit for a new business he was looking to start. He had investors. He had a whole group of people basically waiting on him. And he came to me and said, I got to sell this thing and I got to sell it quick. And so we, we priced it accordingly to be able to get it moved out as fast as possible. Um, so again, it really depends on on what your goals are. Some people, they just want that price maximization. You know, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go out and try and maximize that price. But it comes with certain risks uh, involved. As Joe said, when you price it in that sweet spot, it should uh, it should move within the timeframes that we expect, uh, which is typically 30 to 45 days to get at least one serious acceptable offer. And that's good, those kind of multiple um, prices, just because it really depends on where you are in your personal life, in the business life. Are you, you know, burning you need to sell right now? Or is it something you just kind of fishing and, yeah, you know, if you get an offer, great. If you don't get an offer, you'll run the business um, for the next however many years. So there's really different times where um, that totally makes sense. I can see that. So before I let you guys run, any kind of last tips you would say? Let's say someone's listening. They have a business, they're thinking about selling it, but they're not really there yet. Any kind of tips on what they should start doing now um, instead of waiting until the last minute? Talk to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, have a conversation. Look, don't be afraid. Uh, you, you know, if, if, if you're a mature professional business person, no broker's going to talk you into doing something you don't want to do. And that's not our job. Our job, honestly, it's we're here to help. Uh, that's the first goal. And if you talk to anybody at QuietLight, you're going to find that experience. You're going to get a heck of an education and you're going to be in a better position to understand the value of your business and the value of your asset. And uh, we'll probably be recklessly honest and say, you're crazy to sell, don't do this. Um, but when you're emotionally ready to move on, we'll be here to help and you'll understand uh, the process and what the real value of your business is. So have a conversation.
Yeah, I mean, outside of that, there are basic things anybody can do. Clean up your financials. Make sure that they're kept in professional books. If you're not on a accrual basis, get on a accrual basis. If you don't know what a accrual basis is, learn. You know, these are really important things. Understand that the financials are, are super important in your business. Uh, look for areas of risk and start to, to modify those. But at the end of the day, every business is very, very unique. Every business is uh, has a lot of characteristics to it um, that we might be picking up on uh, that we know a buyer is going to eventually pick up on and, and become an issue. And that's why that conversation makes sense. Uh, Joe and I have had the experience at conferences quite frequently where we'll, we'll be standing in our booth and we might be giving away like a free battery charger or playing a game. And uh, people will kind of do that sideways glance and will offer, do you, want, do you want a free battery or do you want to play this game? And they have the obligatory conversation that they know that they're supposed to have. And they say, well, what do you guys do at Quiet Light? We explain, oh, we, we help people sell their e-commerce businesses. And the reaction that we get sometimes is, well, I, I don't want to sell. It's okay. I'm not going to sell your business without your consent. I'm not going to try and convince you to sell. You know, we offer a very unique service, unique product in that it re represents kind of the end of your time with your business. Um, I want you to own that business if it's a good thing, but I also want you to be prepared where when you get to that point in your life, and you will, we all do, when you get to that point in your life where you want to cash out and take that money off the table, you're taking as much money as possible. And that requires knowing the, the elements behind the valuation and more importantly, knowing the elements for the valuation of your particular business. Awesome. Thank you guys. That definitely, uh, that's helpful. And if folks kind of want to find you, um, where are some good places to pick up the conversation from here? Uh, best place would be at, at our website, quietlightbrokerage.com. Excellent. And you also do a podcast? Is that We do. So we have the Quiet Light podcast, and uh, we've been doing that since October of this past year. So um, as of right now, what is that? That's uh, I can't do math in my head very quickly. That's about nine months. Uh, that we've been doing that, and uh, it's been going well. Um, so, Quiet Light Podcast, you can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google uh, uh, Podcast, uh, any major uh, podcast like that, and you can also find it on our website. We have a blog. We have a lot of uh, long-form content and resources on the website as well. If people want to learn about some of the principles behind valuation and how to prepare a business for sale, or if you're looking at doing acquisitions as well, we have some information on that, including a pretty comprehensive guide on SBA loans. Great. I will definitely add all those links to the show notes. So thank you guys very much for both coming on today. Thank you. Thank you.